Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Fumbling Punter Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Keeney. So, I have been away from doing live podcasts for a couple of weeks now because Lucas Jones and I were able to do all of our MLB preview shows in basically two days. The first day we did about five, and then the second day we finished up two. So, it's been a while since I have been able to do some podcasts to talk about current sporting events and... uh, I apologize. I have taken a little time. Schedule got a little busy. So, uh, you know, a future announcement here. I am uh, going to be doing two podcasts per week. So I think that the better thing for the Fumbling Punter and the better thing for my schedule, because I want to be consistent with when I put podcasts out. So you guys know when to look for them. You know when to listen to them. It's part of your, you know, weekly activities. You know, you know, on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, typically that's when I've released podcasts. And the last couple of weeks, that's been kind of off with the start of baseball season. But I mean, the uh, the numbers on our baseball preview podcast were really good. So you guys tuned in, you shared that. Uh, I really appreciate it. So does Lucas. Uh, that was a lot of fun for us. Hopefully, it was a lot of fun for you guys. If you haven't got a chance to listen to them yet, I highly recommend it. That was really entertaining stuff. I I listened to all of them, of course, before and after I put them on SoundCloud, and then they go to iTunes and Google Play Music. And I thought they were really entertaining. I thought they were uh, unique in the fact that you don't see a lot of uh, a lot of baseball previews in that manner. A lot of dry stuff out there. But so moving forward, I'm looking to do two podcasts per week, playing on Monday slash Tuesday and Thursday, Friday. So we're going to have a beginning of the week podcast, an end of the week podcast, and that does come with a caveat of if we have a good chance to get a guest or something big in the world of sports is happening, I may throw in a midweek podcast or put it up basically whenever it happens because I think that fresh material is good. I think that people really enjoy fresh material and that's where we are going to try to stick with here at the Fumbling Punter. So one thing that has happened since last time I've done a live podcast, the NCAA tournament has wrapped up and I was really rooting for Gonzaga in that national championship game. I love Mark Few. You know, they're, you heard this a lot. They're the ultimate mid-major. But the thing is, coaches typically don't stay at schools like that. Brad Stevens at Butler, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Steve Alford started at Missouri State. Quanzo Martin started at Missouri State. And people just don't stay at mid-majors there. Even if you get good money, it's not a recruiting hotbed for the most part. And people move on. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Mark Few has stayed at Gonzaga through the ups and downs, and it's, there's been a lot of ups for the program and he finally broke through to the Final Four this year and, you know, was a couple of minutes away from a national championship. So I'm really happy for Mark Few. But the big debate I saw on Twitter the night of the game was the style of play. I loved that style of play. Now, granted, the shooting was pretty poor that night, but it was because partly, I think, just they had an off-shooting night. Both teams did, North Carolina and Gonzaga. But I think that it was the defense there was not an un- or a non-contested shot in that entire game. Every time the ball hit the floor, there were two or three guys on the floor fighting for it. I love that style of basketball. I think that if the NBA could replicate that, that the NBA would be 
infinitely more entertaining. I mean, that's that's everybody's biggest complaint about the NBA regular season and basketball in general now is it's just kind of you go down the court and jack up a three. But in that game, both teams were playing great defense, you know, 94-foot defense end-to-end, and every shot was contested, every rebound was hard-fought. I thought that was just a shining moment for college basketball. I thought it was a great game. Like I said, I know some people really dogged on it because the shooting percentages weren't that great. You know, neither team shot particularly well, but it was still very entertaining to me. I, If you guys want to let me know how you thought of the game, you know, I got to see a lot of different posts on Twitter about what everyone thought of how the game went down. Let me know. I uh, I enjoy hearing from you guys, and I want to know what you think of that college basketball game, the national championship, that is. So, Gonzaga is kind of unique, in, and college basketball is also unique, and you'll never see Boise State playing for a national championship in college football. That's what I like about the tournament style, and that's why I think the NCAA needs to expand to eight, if not 16, for the college football playoff. If you say it makes the regular season not count, then you're wrong because college football, every single game matters. And so I hope that the that college football is able to do what college – not what college basketball does. 64 teams is way too many. But if you get an 8 or 16-team playoff, then I think that will do a lot for the sport in terms of the uh, final couple months of the season. I think it will be a lot of fun for the fans, a lot of fun for the players – Coaches may not like it. Some it depends on if you're an Alabama fan or you're a Boise State fan, whether or not your coach would like it or not. So baseball season got underway this past week as well. The uh, Of course, if you read the blog, fumblingpunter.com, you were able to see some of my notes yesterday and my thoughts on the Cardinals-Cubs series. The Cubs took two out of three from the Cardinals and the Cardinals after the Cardinals won opening night. And I talked about the Cardinals' bullpen falters. They have given up six earned runs in one and two-thirds inning pitched when they have the lead. That is horrendous. I mean, six earned runs in less than two innings when pitching with the lead. Your bullpen should be at its best when you have the lead. That's if you're going to make a run at a World Series, or even a playoff spot, for that matter. If If your bullpen pitches good when they're down then it's irrelevant because that doesn't help you in the long run you need guys that can either keep it a tie game or keep you the lead and the cardinals i don't put a lot of that on O necessarily on the opening night you know he gave up the three run home run to wilson Contreras in the ninth inning of that ball game but i put a lot more of that on mike matheny i wrote in the blog post yesterday that I thought Carlos should have been done after seven innings. His pitch count was high. He was at 97 pitches after the seventh inning. Hadn't given up a run, you know, 10 strikeouts, zero walks, great game. Take him out, bring in someone for the eighth inning, and then let O pitch the ninth. If Mike Matheny is going to have to rely on Sung Won O to pitch two innings per save all season long, the Cardinals are not going to go to the playoffs. I was incredibly frustrated. I don't know about a lot of you Cardinal fans, but I was incredibly frustrated to see Brett Cecil give up that lead yesterday. Brett Cecil made a lot of money as a reliever. You don't see a lot of relievers get four years, $32 million. And the fact that he did, and then he came in and gave up 
three runs in didn't record an out is beyond frustrating to me. Uh, I don't know if it's Cecil, if it's Matheny, if what's going on, if it's Mosaliac for that matter. You know, he's not without blame in this whole mess. And I know they played the Cubs. A lot of you guys listening are probably going to be like, well, you know, they played the Cubs. They played what everyone expects to be the best team in baseball, the defending World Series champs. And I get that. But they had the lead on the Cubs in two of those games. And to me, they should have won both of those games. Lance Lynn went out of the game in a four, with a 4-1 lead. And then they let one of his inherited runners score. So he ended up giving up two earned runs over five and a third. And then the bullpen came and ruined it. And talking about bullpen woes, that has kind of got the Royals down this season. Now, granted, the Kansas City Royals have not hit particularly well either. They only had a handful, less than a handful of hits in their first two games combined. But they were outscored 14-0 in the seventh inning of that series against the Twins. Not a great number. And I think it's really hard for the Royals in this year where they're trying to decide what, when to maybe look to trade Hosmer or Kane or even Moustakis. You don't want to start a season off getting swept by the Twins. It's not a good look on your season going forward. I, once again, I know it's three out of 162 games, but when you basically shit the bed against the worst team in your division – that people are going to say stuff. The Royals did not play well. There's a lot more questions than answers with the Kansas City Royals this season. I, uh, I've talked a couple of times about the possible trade of Eric Hosmer. I still I like the idea of trading him maybe to Boston. Uh, Dave Dombrowski likes to deal. We've, we've talked about that here before, and even Offset, uh, Anthony Ogden, Lucas, and I, had a discussion about Dave Dombrowski loving to just unload a minor league farm system. And the Red Sox still have a couple of pieces there, and I think that the Royals would be wise to trade Hosmer early and get what they can out of him. So not really to transition from an 0-3 start to sell off your team, but I have talked about the Eric Hosmer situation before, and I don't think that he is long for the Kansas City Royals organization. Not with Scott Boris, not when you're going to be 28 years old hitting the free agent market I think he's going to make a lot of money and I don't think that you know historically the Royals have not paid anywhere near a contract that I would expect to see him get this off season. so the Indians swept the Rangers in a battle of Lucas and my World Series picks this year so Lucas uh, really got me there I'd sent out a tweet I don't know if you guys had seen on opening night when the Rangers got up early on the Indians and then the Indian or the Rangers rather blew that lead so Lucas had to get a good dig in on me there but uh, I'm still hopeful hopeful for the Rangers this year but I was looking over uh, how everybody started out their opening series and Rockies update you guys know we kind of fell in love with the Rockies during our NL West preview and the Rockies started 3-1 and one early on the season. So, I mean, they're projecting out to go like 120 and, 121 and 41. Are the Rockies going to win 121 games? Probably not. Would I be excited if they did? Hell yeah, I would. So, you know, I got to get a little Rockies love whenever I can. So, shifting to some football news that has happened since we last talked. 
the Tony Romo situation. So uh, it Adam Schefter broke the news that Tony Romo was going to be leaving the Dallas Cowboys to go join CBS Broadcasting, CBS Sports Broadcasting, rather. And I, I thought it was absurd. I mean, Tony Romo, not a picture of health. You know, he has missed the last last two seasons. But I thought he stuck with it this long. He's just waiting to get traded. And then Jerry Jones started kind of screwing with him, didn't release him when he anticipated. And I don't know if that pissed Romo off into retirement or they were just kind of having a stare off and Tony said, fine, I'm done. You know, I'm out. And decided to get into broadcasting. So I'm happy for Tony, you know. Tony Romo's made a lot of money over his career and he still gets to leave with a I mean, to compare to, you know, someone who's had three heart attacks at 37, he's leaving with a clean bill of health and will have a seven-figure job for the rest of his working life. So I I don't know about you guys, but I probably couldn't turn down that option. You know, leaving leaving the NFL for a seven-figure job, there's not a lot of people in the NFL that are able to do that. And maybe Tony just saw the opportunity for the rest of his life to be too good to risk getting hurt or maybe CBS filling that role with another analyst. But Tony Romo took the CBS job and hopefully rides off into the sunset. I say that because if he does end up taking a job, you know, once you get closer into camp or towards the start of the season – with Houston or with Denver, or even if there's an injury kind of a la Teddy Bridgewater last year where somebody needs a quarterback and they sign Tony Romo, I think it kind of stinks a little bit of Brett Favre. I loved Brett Favre, but like the last six six years that dude played in the NFL was just freaking brutal. He would... You know, I'm I'm retiring. I think I'm going to retire. No, I'm back, and... I think that it became a huge distraction for every team he played for, the Packers, the Jets, the Minnesota Vikings when he was there. And I don't think that's fair to the rest of the team, to the coaching staff, whenever guys do stuff like Favre did. And so I hope Tony Romo isn't trying to, going to go down that path of retirement or no every couple of months. And so hopefully if this is what Romo wants to do, be a broadcaster, be an analyst for CBS, that that's what he does because going back and forth is just going to piss me off. I just, I don't know why. I just hate when guys do that. I, I for all my love for Brett Favre, like I said, I, I love Brett Favre. He was a badass, but man, he just aggravated the hell out of me whenever he couldn't make up his mind whether he wanted to play or not. So if that is the last we've seen of Tony Romo on the field, it's interesting to think about what his legacy is going to be as the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, other than losing the job to Dak Prescott. Uh, Tony had some really good regular seasons. Tony was known to falter in the playoffs. You know, maybe if it wasn't for the Dez catch, then who knows what Tony Romo's legacy ends up being is a Dallas Cowboys quarterback, but... You know he he was kind of a he was kind of a stopgap for all those horrendous Dallas Cowboys or post Troy Aikman Dallas Cow- Cowboys quarterbacks. 
that was just a decade of awful. I can't even remember half those guys' names. But everyone was going to be the next Troy Aikman, and Jerry Jones just knew it, and they all sucked. It was, they were basically, The Cowboys were basically the Browns for like 10 years between Troy Aikman and Tony Romo. So Tony Romo, good quarterback, was never able to even get to the big game or win the big one. And like I said, if that's all we've seen of Tony Romo on the field, good quarterback, not a Hall of Famer. I mean, is there any question on that? I want to hear from you guys if you think otherwise. Do you think Tony Romo is a Hall of Famer? Because I would have a pretty... I couldn't make a very good argument on his behalf. I think Tony's a nice guy. I think he had a good career, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, uh, you know, guys with legacies, whether or not they're Hall of Famers. I think Drew Brees is for sure, Tom Brady for sure, um, Eli Manning for sure, but outside, oh, Ben Roethlisberger is for sure. Uh, Aaron Rodgers still has more football to be played, but you would lean yes right now. You know, he's only won one Super Bowl, but he has won the big game. So still more to be seen on Aaron Rodgers. But I, I don't think Tony Romo is a Hall of Fame quarterback at the end of the day. I'd like to hear from you guys if you think differently. But if that's all we've seen from Tony Romo, I he would not get my vote that I don't have for the Hall of Fame. So talking a little bit of college basketball now, uh, specifically LeVar Ball putting his foot in his mouth, as he does seemingly every single week. So LeVar Ball was quoted yesterday as saying, you can't win a title with three white guys. The foot speed's too slow. And he was referring to the three white starters on the UCLA basketball team. <laughs> LeVar Ball just never ceases to amaze me. And uh, the one thing that I did like about LeVar's uh, interview was he mentioned hamstring. I haven't heard a good hamstring excuse in a long time. You know, his hamstring was score. That's why De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk combined for 60 points on him. No. I, <laughs> anytime an athlete or an athlete, athlete spokesman, or in this case his dad, start to use the, oh, he had a tweaked hamstring, Basically, anytime you hear that, throw up the bullshit flag. They didn't have a bad hamstring. They got burnt, and someone's making an excuse for them, or they're making an excuse for themselves. Basically, this is the equivalent of when uh, Randy Moss was playing for the Patriots, and he just torched Daryl Rivas. And Rivas came up grabbing the old hammy. Randy Moss beat him 10 yards down the field, and... Revis came up grabbing the hamstring. That's a good old go-to that I'm glad to see LeVar pull out on making excuses. But it was just, he the guy's an ass. I mean, you love your kids. Everybody loves their kids. But don't, don't go saying stupid stuff that's going to negatively impact your child. Uh, they lost that game because at the end of the day, Lonzo couldn't play defense and Kentucky looked like a better team. De'Aaron Fox looked like the better point guard between him and Lonzo. I don't think there's any arguing that. I don't know why LeVar always feels the need to come out and say ridiculous shit. But he does, so that gives us something to talk about. But uh, I think LeVar may be hurting his two younger kids, LeAngelo and LaMelo. 
So, Leangelo, I looked this up, uh, according to 247 Sports, is the number, like, 250 recruit in the country. Uh, by the way, not going to be a one-and-done if you guys don't follow a lot of, a lot of basketball. Uh, not a lot of 250th-ranked recruits going one-and-done and being a top-five NBA draft pick. Uh, which isn't to say, I mean, I haven't seen anything from any of those kids that makes me dislike them, any of the Ball brothers. It's just their dad. So, I mean, if he keeps putting his foot in his mouth, he may cost those two younger boys a chance to play at any prestigious college basketball program. I mean, I'm surprised that the day Lonzo declared for the draft that Steve Alford didn't just revoke the two scholarship offers to the two younger brothers because neither of them are going to be McDonald's All-Americans. Neither of them are top five draft picks. They're good basketball players, but they're not Lonzo good. And so I'm surprised with all of the LeVar Ball shit-talking that has transpired that they just didn't, that offer didn't just revoke both of those scholarship offers. And I would hate to see that for the kids if it happens, but LeVar, LeVar's got to have some wake-up call of some sort because whether it's a shoe deal falling through, whether it's a team passing on Lonzo, He's going to negatively impact his kids if he keeps getting on every national talk show available. Like I said, I don't care. That guy can get on there and talk about how great his kids are all day long. I don't care. I I think that's good parenting. You know, maybe not great parenting, but loves his kids, wants to see them succeed. So I'll let him get on there and just talk whatever he wants about how great his kids are. But when you start making stupid, controversial comments that negatively impact your children, that is not good parenting. And so I think that LeVar needs to maybe take a back seat and shut up and just enjoy watching his kids play basketball. So, I mean, I'm not the only person in media saying that. I always laugh when I say I'm not the only person in media because what media am I in? <laughs> but uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But uh, that led me into the South region of the NCAA tournament, and that South region was so good. You had Kentucky, Wichita State, North Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, UCLA, and then Kentucky, North Carolina. That was a great, tough region. And I heard a lot of people getting on to John Calipari about not making it to another Final Four. And Calipari had a tough road. Kentucky probably had the toughest road of any team in the NCAA tournament this year, far and away. Look at Gonzaga. Look at South Carolina, Florida. Look at any team that made any run in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky had the toughest road by far. Which they played Wichita State in the second round, and Wichita State was not a ten seed. They they weren't. If you watch them play at all this year, uh, if you looked at their record, they were not a ten seed. They were a five or a six seed. They got put as a ten seed. So they were playing a tough team in the second round. Then they matched up with UCLA, who was a top ten team all season, and then they matched up with the national champs, North Carolina. So I don't put any of that on on John Calipari. I think anybody that says John Calipari is underachieving I don't think they know what they're talking about I think Cal's done a good job there uh NCAA tournament a lot of things can happen a lot of great coaches only have one or two national championships a lot of great coaches don't have any and so 
Cal's already got one there. I think he's done well. I think Kentucky, it's been money well spent for the University of Kentucky. But I'm going to uh, transition that into a little Mizzou college basketball talk. So Mizzou is hosting a McDonald's All-American this weekend. And if Tillman, the center from East St. Louis, get is granted his release from the University of Illinois, he will be on campus at Mizzou this weekend. So that would leave Mizzou with the number one, number eight, and number 29 recruits in addition to C.J. Roberts, the kid from the point guard from Texas who has already signed. So I say that because, and bear with me here for a second, Tillman the, is the number, the kid, the center from East St. Louis is the number 29 recruit in the country. If he signs with Mizzou and makes it to campus, as far as I can remember, he would be the highest ranked recruit to play basketball at Mizzou since Jimmy McKinney. And you guys know how long it's been since Jimmy McKinney's been on the court. Because Tony Mitchell, the uh, forward in Phil Pressey's class that was never cleared academically to play, was a top 20 recruit. But other than that, I can't name anybody since Jimmy McKinney that's been that high of a recruit. And Tillman would be the third-ranked recruit in this class behind Porter and the kid from Tampa. Give me a quick second here. I uh, I cannot think of his name for the life of me. It is Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox is the number eight recruit in the country, another McDonald's All-American, and he seems to be leaning Mizzou pretty heavy at this point. So they could have Porter, Knox, and Tillman all in that freshman class. And Mizzou could get scary in a hurry. Quanzo Martin is getting the job done before he ever steps before his team ever steps out onto the court. So that was just a fun little recruiting tidbit for me there, or for you guys there. Uh, I apologize for kind of falling off there why I had to look up his name, Kevin Knox. So that is all for our Friday podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. Like I said, look forward to two podcasts a week here in the future, one to start your week, one to end your week. And I am trying to lock down a couple of pretty big guests. We were going to have one on this week, but timing didn't quite work out. But hopefully here in the next week or two, we'll be able to get those big-name guests on the show. Hopefully they'll be entertaining, be be good entertainment, be good promotions for the Fumbling Punter, and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. And don't forget to give us a retweet. Check out thefumblingpunter.com. See what ridiculousness I've put up for the day. And have a good weekend, everyone. For the Fumbling Punter Podcast, I'm Devin Keeney.